Konnichiwa. Howdy, y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. And welcome to Sumo, sumo Kaboom. Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. Yeah, that's right. If you are interested in American sumo history, it's your lucky week because right. we are talking to Jean-Jacques. What a name. I know, Jean-Jacques. He was really cool to talk to. He was a mover and shaker in the sumo world. Still is. Still is. And fascinating, fascinating guy to talk to. So that's coming up soon, but first... A news flash. The Osaka tournament will be held in March in Osaka this time. At 75% capacity, that's around 5,500 people for the first time in two years. And so that was officially announced. So if you live anywhere in Japan, get your tickets. <laughs> because the rest of us still can't go anywhere. Next up, Magaki Oyakata also known as Hakuho, this week he got five Guinness World's Records. Now, he had a little presentation of the awards at the Kokogikan, and the awards will be on display at the Sumo Museum at the Kokogikan during the January tournament in Tokyo. So he got one for the most number of wins in Makauchi. He got one for the longest period of a Yokozuna reign. The most number of total wins in Makauchi. So the one before was like tournaments. This one is the 1,093 wins. And the most number of sumo wrestling wins, which is 1,187. And the most number of all Makauchi, uh, it says wins, which must be tournaments. So I don't know. It's like they gave a bunch of different ones that didn't quite translate, but you get it. It's just basically Hako's record. <laughs> Which is very cool. Very impressive. Yeah. I didn't know the world, the Guinness people were out there, like, looking for people breaking records. I thought you had to bring your ridiculous stuff to them. Well, maybe someone on his team said, you know what? You are breaking world records. Yeah, it's time we send this to Guinness so <laughs> that right. you can get some more awards. Because surely he's got a team to do that for him. And he's not sitting behind his computer screen sending in an email that <laughs> says, hey, not. by the way. Well, they just added five plaques to his trophy room. So congratulations, Magaki Oyakata. Also, we have a big-time tournament that is happening this weekend. Not in Dallas, not in New York, not in Los Angeles, nope. not in Tokyo, but in Las Vegas, baby. The adult playground of the West. That's right. So all of the wrestlers from all... All over America are going to be heading to Las Vegas. And this is so exciting because... Why? Well, we've been able to see people in the uh, Dark Circle Sumo Tournament in Austin, but being able to see people, again, from even further reaches, everybody in one room, that's what's happening in Vegas. And it is the national championship. So this is a big time. The competition is happening at UNLV. Parking is only $12 a day, y'all. There's a food court. There's concessions. So if you're in Vegas, y'all, we expect to see you out there. Oh, yeah. Cheering on your favorite wrestler. Well, and one other thing to note, the rodeo is also happening at UNLV. So it will be a mashup of big horses, dudes. big dudes, cowboy hats, <laughs> Bulls. and guys in mawashis. That's this right. This is one mashup I am excited <laughs> to see, especially in the food court. Uh, 
Because, you know, what we've learned from the Dallas Sumo Club is that mawashis and cowboy hats do go hand in hand. They do, 100%. (laughs) So, no, you can still get tickets. If you want to visit it, ussumo.org. To all of our wrestlers that are listening, we are cheering you on. We are so excited to see Mm -hmm. all of you in person and see you hit it in the dojo. That's right. And the top three athletes in each weight division qualifying to go to Worlds. That's so exciting. We're going to be cheering you on in Vegas, and then we will cheer you on again in Alabama. That's right. So John Jacques is one of those people we've heard about for a long time. We didn't know that much about. Other people had mentioned him to us. I think the best way for you to get to know John Jacques is just to simply listen to the interview. So here it goes. I came out of New York. I've been in Hawaii for 52 years. And uh, smart choice. I've lived in New York and I was there for <laughs> 17 years, and that was enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like New York, it was a good place to be from. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <Far exactly. from. laughs> exactly. That sounds really I gotta cool. say, I really enjoy you guys' podcasts and, and your broadcasting. You just you bring a lot of energy, a lot of fun, uh, just a happy, smiley vibe, and I like it. Oh, too, oh, many people trying, too many people try and make someone like this serious, you gotta be now. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're training and fighting, you know, that's it. But when you're talking about it and presenting it, just nothing like a couple of cute girls just kind of talking all crazy about it. So, yeah, we all love it. So keep it going. Oh, you're so nice. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for for listening to anything that we say. Well, and we started just as fans. You know, we didn't, we knew a little bit about Sumo, but not a lot. And we were very clear about that when we started. We said, look, we're learning and we're just sharing what we learn. I know like 10% of what I should know, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Main thing is just have fun and enjoy it. It's just, you know, we're and not I, members of the Ozumo uh, hierarchy. So no, we just, we have fun and we talk about it and we, we talk smack, we talk stink and we talk nice. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, giving us a little bit of your time today. I really appreciate oh, sure, that. Sure. You have been on my list of interviews for a while and um, there, there's several reasons. One is uh, I just think it behooves us Americans to know about our own sumo history and to okay. know who's come before us and who have been the major players. And everyone that we have talked to, every single uh-huh. person has mentioned your name and has said, you know, even that you're the father of American sumo, which I know you don't agree with, but no, you no. have been in sumo for 50 years or more. So yeah, about you've been 50, around. Yeah. 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 You're more like an ambassador. Would you say that? <laughs> I'm more like the old fun is what I am, but that's okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you are one of the few people well, that has been you. involved in sumo in Japan, as well as in America, yeah both as a wrestler and as a coach, and you've been honored both in America yeah. and Japan. Yeah. Um, just in October, John Gunning wrote an article about- oh, right, 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 yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I just said, you know what? It's time. We need okay. to sit and talk to Jean-Jacques. Plus, I know we're going to be together in Las Vegas yeah. next week. So here's what I know about the sumo scene in Hawaii. Sumo came to Hawaii with the Japanese- uh, plantation workers that came to Hawaii in the late 1800s, like the 1880s and 1890s, several shiploads of uh, Japanese citizens that weren't making it economically in Japan and the chance to come to Hawaii and work on a sugar plantation and have a job and whatever. So a lot of single men just jumped on that ship and said, yeah, I'll sign up for that. It's a future. 
came across here and Hawaii really needed those workers and, and they were just incredibly successful in, in helping the plantations be, be uh, viable uh, entities. They just, their, their work was incredible, the work ethic that they brought. As the story kind of goes, and this is kind of, it's not written down, but uh, it's pretty much passed down orally, is that uh, they only had one day a week off. They had Sundays off. And so, and they had almost no money. They worked hard for like pennies a day, and uh, they lived in plantation camps. And the, the typical plantation mentality is: okay, you earn ten cents for this week. I'm just making up a number. I don't know what it was. And eight cents pays for your room and board. So you've got two pennies that you can do with. You know? So if you want a beer, then okay, now you have one penny left. You know, so so they had Sundays off, and they did not have a lot of money, not a lot of stuff to do. So in each plantation and about every 20 miles or so in Hawaii there was another little sugar plantation so there were like 30 of them and each one had maybe 30 or 40 Japanese guys working there so they'd just sit around on Sunday you know what do you want to do I don't know and so sumo was always kind of an important part of of Japan and, and they knew that that was kind of like their tradition so they I think a couple of guys just said you know if we just draw a, a, a circle in the dirt, like you see some of the Americans now when they do practice, they just go out and put a hose in the grass. Mm-hmm. So they just do a circle in the dirt. I think they took some of those old uh, rice bags and stuff and made a little like fake mawashi out of it and just like just played a little bit. Like for a half an hour, they just fooled around, said, yeah, yeah, yo, yo, and just yeah, and acted like they're in Japan. And then they drank a little bottle of sake and then they went back, slept. And the next day they went back to work for 12 hours a day. And so I think. Oh, every so often they would kind of meet at some of the stores that were like more central, not just for each little town. So the guy from this town would meet the guy from that town and say, hey, you know what we do? We, we're doing a little bit of sumo practice. They go, oh, that's cool. So he went back to his camp and said, hey, you know what they're doing? Well, let's. And so they never thought about competing against it. They just started doing it. So more and more it spread around. And one day I think some guys told the other guy, I bet our brothers could beat your guys. I don't think so. You know, well, well let's get together. Okay. So next week, Sunday, we'll meet at my place and, you know, and bring five guys and we'll just have fun and we'll cook up some rice and we'll have some sake or some beer or something afterwards. So just for fun, they just like two teams in, in Texas get together for joint practices or whatever. It just evolved and evolved. By 1920, there were leagues all over Hawaii and wow. all over California and all in Brazil with all these workers had gone to these different places to work ag. A lot in Brazil, which has a huge Japanese population, yeah. a lot in Hawaii and a lot in Southern California, the California growing area. Mm-hmm. And they just started to kind of challenge each other. And pretty soon, like the hometowns would, would give the guy like five dollars. Here, here's money, Joe. You know, you represented Kuhuku. Just, yeah, here's a little token for thank you guys. Because everybody, you know, they're Japanese guys and they're far, far from home. The only connection they have is kind of like, yeah, we get this thing that we get going once a month or whatever. It just grew and so the hometown fan, the ladies eventually, because wives came over and guys got married and they married some local mm-hmm. girls and some Japanese girls. It just started to like blossom. They started to say, we're not going back to Japan. We're going to live in Hawaii. And the second generation's kids grew up there and just like, wow, this is kind of cool. They all got into sumo because they didn't play football. They didn't play basketball. But so the hometown would sew like Kesselmawashis for the guys, you know, just hand sewn, fancy, oh, not, wow. not, not like Japan with the big gold in this. But they just had these things. And some of the tournaments, like in Maui, I saw some video. Uh, it was an old film uh, shot in about 1926. I think there were like 10,000 spectators showed up. 10,000 spectators showed up in Maui to this giant like outdoor arena on the side of a mountain. They built a big toyo down below. I think they had like 100 wrestlers. 
So the ladies got the ladies started cooking two days early, cooking rice and just making all chunko and just all these yeah. different. So they were selling it and and making rice balls to feed the guys. Yeah. And you saw a car after these old fashioned cars kind of riding down the hill, like a string of like a thousand cars coming down to park and come into this thing. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Yeah. So eventually, some of the guys would do it, you know, would just be like stronger than other guys, a hakuho kind of uh, with the Hawaii League or whatever, would start to show up. And pretty soon the family said, you know, you should just keep practicing and, you know, don't come to work anymore. We're going to pay you like, you know, 40 cents a week or, or whatever. And pretty soon in the 20s, some of those guys did not work in the sugarcane anymore in the stores. Their, their job was kind of doing a little bit of quote, amateur, but in Hawaii, almost like semi-pro sumo. Wow, and, I didn't know that. As a yeah, representative. So, so when the... I started doing sumo in 70, 73, some of the old guys that were still around in their 80s at that time uh, shared some of the, a couple of these these clips with us and told us some story. We just sat around, I'm like, just fascinated by by the history of, of how this all kind of evolved. So when you say I'm the father of Americans, I'm like, no, right? I just this little owly guy that came along and a fat owly guy, but just came along in the middle of this whole thing. But it's like saying some minor league baseball player is the father of baseball in America. Like, no, dude, no. Babe Ruth came before. I'm like, no, I'm just another guy in a long line of people that play the game. And love the game, you know, the sport, yeah. the lifestyle, or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but it, it just it's deep. And then sad. This was really roaring. And then America and Japan started to have these frictions as World War II came around, and right, boom, yeah. Pearl Harbor. Like, and instantly, all the sumo guys went, "Oh shit!" Because a lot of Japanese were getting taken away and put into these camps yeah, and so forth, camps, shipped yeah. to the mainland, and and they were especially afraid of any martial artists. They figured those guys are the most dedicated to the emperor and stuff. So those guys would be like bad people to have just walking around in Hawaii because who knows what they're going to be doing. They're right. warriors. They're martial artists. Or whatever. And, and the karate's and the sumo guys. So a lot of the sumo guys told me that they dug holes in their backyard and buried like all their trophies, all their Kesemo washies, really? all their Because if if the Americans came to your door with their guns and kind of barged in, which is what they did, and walked around and they found things that were like from the emperor, these awards that they got, or Hawaii sumo champion five, they were okay, dude, get cuff, you know, you're coming with us. And they, bye, mom and kids, you know, see you in 10 years, maybe. Oh and, and they were gone out the door. So they just said, it's not worth, you know, I mean, Family and, and love and your life is more important than, than your sumo memorabilia. So right. they buried it. When they came back after the war and dug it up, most of it was just eaten and gone and rusted. And you know, so a lot of stuff got lost. But that, like a couple of those films, were buried. And when they bro broke them out after the war, they were still good. So this was wow. one old guy, Mr. Okazaki. He was a, a doctor and a physical masseuse kind of guy for injury. He was a judoka mostly, but he loved sumo. And uh, he's the one that had these these great big reels and. But when World War II came, there was no more sumo. There was no more Japanese culture in the way. It was just shut. There was no more kimono festivals, no more bonsai, no more no bonsai. No, you said bonsai in Hawaii during the war. Man, you read the shatter of hauled off to prison because that that's a kind of a celebration. So it's just war, and you know war is horrible. So so after World War II, about nineteen forty eight or fifty, a couple of the local guys, Japanese, like fourth generation, Sansei, third and fourth mm -hmm. generation, just said, you know, maybe we should start up again. And a couple of Hawaiian guys, a couple of Holy guys, a couple of military guys that had been in Japan mm -hmm. after the war and, and whatever, and said, yeah, we saw sumo in Japan. It's really cool. They just started to do amateur sumo, but really small. And eventually it evolved that I think there were four teams. The island of Kauai had a big team. Hilo on the big island had one. 
Maui had one and Oahu had one. So there were four sumo teams in Oahu. Each island had a sumo team. Before the war, there were probably 50 sumo teams, Kahuku and Aea yeah. Pearl City and Manawili. Every every little sugar camp had its own sumo team. It was just yeah. like major. It was like it was like bigger than than softball league, you know, like, like the old senior softball league. And within what, 20, 25 years, uh Jesse. Takamiyama. Yeah, yeah, Takamiyama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't know who Jesse is, if you're a listener and you're like, who are we talking about? It whenever you see old footage of sumo, you you'll will usually come across a very large man with these huge mutton chops. <laughs> Sideburns. Uh, yeah. Yes, from the 70s. That is Jesse. And always with the orange bowashi. <laughs> ah, see, I didn't know the, that. The, yeah, always with the bright orange bowashi. Uh, I'm not sure why, but he always I don't think I ever saw him in a color other than orange. Okay. Yeah. And he was from Hawaii, correct? Yeah. He, he grew up in a little, a very little town called Happy Valley on the island of Maui, uh, just outside their, their that, capital, Kahului. I know exactly where that is because I've been there and that is tiny. Oh, yeah. Well, that's where he grew up. Oh, my and, God. Uh, a big, big man to come out of such a tiny yeah, town. That's what a tiny is he, town. Six, four, six, five. He was. Yeah, six, large... five. Well, Hawaiian blood, you know, he was, yeah. he was, mom and dad, I think were pretty much pure Hawaiians or, or close to pure. I, I'm not positive on that, but I, Real close to that, so in Hawaii, that's not that odd to see a guy in Jesse size or Chad size. I mean, there's a fair number of them, Samoan, Tongan, Hawaiian, Fijian, whatever, walking around here. Yeah. Um, when he was young, he got both legs broken. I think he got hit by a truck or a car or something, and both of his legs got broken. And uh, he healed up a little bit, but he was playing football as like a sophomore or a junior, and the football coach told him, "You know, you're a pretty tough kid up here, but your legs are weak." You know, there's a sumo club that meets like twice a week over there. You need to go over there in the off season. So he went over there on the football coach's recommendation just to develop strength in his legs. So he started doing the shko and the squats and the sudiashi, and he ended up all state his senior year because of the the work he did in sumo. Plus, he's just a great athlete, you know, to begin yeah. with. But but he kind of overcame that initial damage to his legs because you know sumo is all about the legs they say yeah. the main thing in sumo is ashi koshi your legs and your hips your yeah. ashi and your koshi is what sumo coaches don't look at a guy's bicep to say oh yeah we want that americans go wow he's strong japanese yeah. they, they just look down your legs below the belt the, the ashi and the koshi you got strong legs we'll take you if you don't have strong legs no matter how big your biceps are your chest we, nah, we don't need that it's not a look at abby i mean abby's really strong legs. with this thing right but yep. if you look at his arms, he doesn't have these big muscle arms. You know, no, he, he doesn't, honestly, doesn't. He's just not a muscle kind of guy, but he's got that length and he's got strong legs. And people think, oh, it's his arms. Well, he's tricky with his arms, but what's making him win is the power, he's, the drive he's getting from his ashikoshi, from his legs. Yeah. It's all below the moachi where, where the power is coming from. The arms just kind of carry that power forward. Yeah. And he's just learned, with, he's so long that he's learned to use them. But, okay. So anyhow... We talked earlier about the Japanese doing so well in America, you know, in World War II, kind of this catastrophe. A lot of the Japanese kids considered themselves American. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad were born in Hawaii. Grandma and grandpa were born in Hawaii. I'm American. I'm not Japanese. I want to fight the Japanese that came and bombed our our part. They just didn't feel that connection. Like, I have uh, relatives from Germany three generations back. I don't fight for Germany. I'm not German and I care about America. So that's how these kids felt. So they went and joined the army at 16, 17, 18 to go and fight. They were afraid of the Japanese, maybe like revolting against America. 
So they put them all into one contingent called the 442, the, the famed fighting regiment of 442. Write that number down and go research it, 442. It's really okay. important. So they formed this 442, and they were guys from California and Hawaii that formed this, this contingent. Of, and they wouldn't let them fight in the eastern whatever. They, they put them to Europe. They said, you know, you can't fight in Asia and Hawaii because that's too close to Japan. You're allowed to jump on the Japanese ships and, and you know, sink us. So they put them in Europe. They said, okay, in Europe, you can't hurt us. They were the most famed and feared fighting group in all of Europe for America. They stormed hills. Americans couldn't get in there. The white guys fighting and fighting and fighting. They'd send the 442 and they'd just go up there and they'd take terrible casualties. So when they came back from the war, they were heroes. It was, oh, thank you guys. You know, with all that was going on, grandpa was locked up in an internment camp during the war. And the grandson is fighting in Europe and, and saving lives, saving American and French and whatever lives. So they just said, you guys are like amazing heroes. Kind of like the, the Navajo code talkers nowadays. Everybody really admires them for what they did in the war. Mm -hmm. And so the 442 just kind of like they just stayed together because they're all a lot of them live in Hawaii. So they just would have like weekly meetings. They would just get together, all of them. They would do all kinds of public service events and put on a carnival and raise money for the hospital. They'd raise money for the church or the Buddhist temple. So they, they got together. And in, the, I think, the late 60s, or early 70s, they started bringing over Su Ozumo from Japan would fly in all the boys for a junio and they'd have like a three-day tournament in Hawaii at the big uh, center, the big recreation center. And they would sell 20,000 seats a night to watch, you know, Ozumo live. Mm -hmm. And pretty much in the beginning, probably 95% of the audience was Japanese. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people were like, oh, what is that cool thing? Oh, those are those crazy Japanese wrestlers. I'll go see that. And that's kind of how I got to go eventually to see that in the early 70s. But uh, it just kind of sprung from there. So, Jesse flew over from Maui with a bunch of guys to just come watch. Mm -hmm. And they asked the amateur guy, somebody talked to somebody, said, you know, this kid is pretty tough. So they let the amateurs kind of like warm up in the afternoon, play on the ring for a little bit. Then they cleared the ring and then they, the lights came up <laughs> and the crowds came in and the pros came out. Uh -huh. But one of the Oyakata was sitting there and just watched it and they said, who's that big Hawaiian boy? He's kind of strong. <laughs> and, you know, and he didn't know anything about sumo really, yeah. Japan style. But they just so Jesse talked and took a couple of pictures with him. The guy went home, came back, wrote back to some of the guys in the 442 said, tell us more about that kid. So they they kind of told him the story. They wrote back what the story was. The guy said, OK, I, I'd like to bring him to Japan and try sumo. So Jesse went to tell his mom. The mom said, no, you're not going to Japan. No, 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 no. <laughs> Eventually he went. And the rest is, as they say, is history. Took him a, a couple of years. But once he got it going wrong. Just superstardom, and like wow. And then all the way. Then when they came back, Jesse came back as one of the superstars. Like oh, then Hawaii just went crazy with about sumo, and you yeah. you everything in Hawaii was sumo. Every store had a little sumo poster in the corner talking about you know eat our sumo ramen uh, ice cream cone, eat our sumo and just because it was selling. And that's right when I got into it in the yeah. early seventies. Yeah, but the re reality is that it's an amazing sport, and it, they're great athletes and so forth. But uh, like right now, when when you guys are in this and you're like some of the leading edge of, of kind of pushing sumo to the future, there's a change coming. You know, right now in America, there's probably a thousand or more people in every city, county, Texas, whatever, Florida, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, New York, California, getting excited about sumo. And they're a group of 20 guys in this town and 30 guys and 12 guys and four girls and eight people and whatever. But it's starting to go from underneath, you know, because Pouring it in from the top wasn't kind of working too much. But now there's kind of groundswell coming from underneath. And I think 
if if you guys keep doing what you're doing and just don't worry how many people are listening people are listening you know and i don't know if it's 800 or 8,000 or 80,000, but I know people are listening because I have friends of mine say, hey, I saw this thing with these two girls talking about the similar So yeah, they're, they're cool. So, I mean, it is getting out there. You, know, you may not awesome. get a lot of feedback right now, but, you know, I thought there was no feedback. Like when you guys tell me, like, oh, you, we think you're the fathers. Like, I'm going, well, I never knew anybody knew who I was or anything about. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it just stuff happens and it just things evolve. And I'm not anybody special honestly it's really not so we need to downplay all of that and just talk about the history of the sport i went to a couple of sumo tournaments junior by the four four two uh group the japanese uh, warriors and uh and right near the end of that their little amateur thing a couple of the Makusta guys would come out and kind of play around with the, with the local guys a little bit. Just they would like pretend they were beating, but they would just kind of flop them down just to show the audience, like, yeah, these guys look tough, but look at this, boom! And I'm only a 17 year old kid. That's Makusta, you know. I'm not even enough. Wait till the big boys come out in five minutes. So um, I saw that and I thought it was kind of cool. So I got on the beer line, and one of the guys that was doing it happened to be right in front of me in the beer line. I tap on the shoulder. I said, "Excuse me," and turned it out to be this guy is, should be recognized. Uh, he's a naval captain, Arthur Ernie Hunt, H-U-N-T, Hunt. And he joined the Navy and went to Japan and lived in Yokosuka for like 10 years in the Navy. He was stationed over there, a career Navy guy. And he met a Japanese girl and fell in love, And but they got married in Japan. And eventually they came back to America and she came over and Right outside the, the uh, naval base, there was this little doyo, and you'd see a bunch of amateur guys that were not big guys. Mm-hmm. And he would walk by every day and look over there. So one day he walked over, and he was a footballer in high school. He walked over and said, can I try? Oh, yeah, come on. So, you know, so they put him a washi on him, and he played. And uh, he just fell in love with it. So he ended up really getting involved. Then he got to know Jesse, and he got to know a lot of the guys. And he was friends with a bunch of the Ozumo guys. His wife spoke fluent Japanese. Her family was the samurai family kind of thing. So mm. she had some ins to different people and just the way she could talk. And she would make special presents or make rice balls for the guy. Ernie got like, he got to ride his wife's coattails and, and get to meet a lot of cool people. So I we talked on this on this beer line. And he goes, he said, well, tomorrow, he said, you know, it was like a four-day tournament. So he said, tomorrow, we're going to be here again about four o'clock. We come here, we warm up a little bit and said at seven, we go out. He said, why don't you come and just play around? So I went the next day at four o'clock. They put him a washi on me and I went, oh, this is really weird. And we got in the ring and I played around them a little bit. And he had like five teenage boys and a couple of 70 year old guys, you know, and an Ernie who was kind of a pretty sturdy guy. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'll be in the bleachers watching you. There's no way. So two years later, they came back again for the next tour. And I'm sitting there watching the first day, and there's Ernie and the guys. I guess, oh, the guy's still here. So when the when they finished their little thing, I walked down. There's an intermission. I I kind of grabbed. Said, hey, he goes, hey, come tomorrow. He said. So I went the next day, and we did that same practice. He said, we only have three guys come tonight. I said, could you please come tonight out and help us with the show? He said, we only got three, two kids and me. He said, it's going to look like Glaive. I said, no, I'm not doing. It. He said, no, please. He got a nice guy. He said, I'll buy you beer. I said, all right, I'll do it. Like I've done sumo practice for a total of an hour in my entire life, and there I am in front of twenty thousand people doing sumo with Ernie. Like, and I got my butt kicked. I just felt like stupid, but we ended up becoming just the best of buddies. He had so much energy and love for sumo that he spread it to me and to just hundreds of other people. So he really is one of the the leaders. I call him not the father, but he's the godfather or something of modern. And if you say modern, 
Hawaiian sumo or modern American sumo, that's different. You say the father of, of sumo, no. But if you say the father of modern, like after World War II or something, yeah, he really helped. You know, there still were hundreds of guys involved with sumo all over, but Ernie kind of just being this very outspoken, happy, lucky, people just wanted to meet him, drink a beer with him. He just, he just exuded charm and fun. And he's just this great guy. And, and he spread sumo to everybody. And all of a sudden, like two years later, he called me, he said, John, we're going to take a trip to Japan. And he said, we have 20 guys going. Two guys can't make it. He said, Saturday, we're going to have a little tournament. And he said, whoever looks like the, the best two guys, we're going to ask, give them free tickets to go to Japan because they're all paid for. I said, hmm. hmm. My wife was listening. She was still my girlfriend on the, on the phone. She said, I said, I don't know. She goes, why do you not want to go? I said, I said, I don't want to like be in that bare butt. She goes, but you mooned people in college. Why? This is a free trip to Japan. So I go, okay, I'm going. I'm going. I'll, I'll come down to practice. So I went down to practice. Then literally there were like a couple of 60, 70-year-old men that just showed up just for the heck of it. And a couple of like 12, 14, 15-year-old kids yeah. and me. They said, okay, you're going. Japan coaches flew in. They trained us for four days. But I mean, they, they trained us Japan style. So like in the first half hour, I was already like bloody and just exhausted on the floor and yeah. didn't burn anything in those three, four days. But yeah. off we go to Japan. And and, and uh, when I came home, I think my record was like 140 losses and one win. It just, <laughs> it just, like, we lost the high school kids. We lost the college kids. We lost the town teams. We lost the pros. We lost, yeah. I mean, everybody that came along just beat and they, the coach kept telling me, you have to charge harder. So, I mean, I was like, everybody's just doing hank on me, stacking on the side, ataki komi, ataki komi. I'd say, I should start. They said, no, charge harder. So I just keep, I'm following the coach's direction. I remember the very last time I said, I'm not charging. I said, screw this. I'm like a zero in 168 <laughs> over my record. I'm going to, I was a wrestler in high school and college. I said, I'm a wrestler, you know, this is just stupid. So I just stood up and just waited like, like some of the guys do nowadays. You see yeah. order on some of those guys, mm-hmm. kind of weird looking. So I just, so I kind of did that a little bit. I could arm drag him and I could duck under, I could do a double lash. So I ended up by coming third in that last tournament, you know, out of about wow. oh, 40 Japanese guys, and about 20 Hawaii guys. I took third. So I came on saying, well, I learned something. We weren't going against the tough guys. <laughs> we were going against guys that Hawaii had a chance with. And Hawaii was kind of like the Americans all over the United States today. They're good for their for who they're going against. But you put them against a Japan team, high school kids, high school team will go 20 and zero against our national champions. I'm sure of that. I, I know that. I, yeah. I've seen it happen. So it is what it is. But we're on our way there. So like American rugby 20 years ago, like, no, you we couldn't beat the high school or college teams around the yeah, world. Yeah. Nowadays, no, American rugby is like pushing because more guys are picked up on rugby. I think the same is going to happen with sumo. Great. But but Japan, Ozumo, stop taking kids into in Hawaiian kids or Americans into professional sumo. They just said, we have too many. Hawaii is a little island, less than a million people. We had Takamiyama, Sekiwaki. We had Puniski, Ozeki, forever. <laughs> We had Akibono, we had Musashi Mono, Yokozuna, Yokozuna, we had George Kalima, Ma- Makuuchi. We had like 20 guys in, in Makusta. I mean, just kicking butt. To, and they just went, wait, Tokyo has 20 million people. We've had like one grand champion in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Hawaii has 800,000 people. You have two grand champions in Ozeki, in Oseki, Waki, and oh my, no more foreigners. Yeah. Hawaii was doing what Mongolia is doing now. Just came in and just kind of started to dominate with size, power, whatever, and just, you know, not so much just the traditional sumo technique. 
Mongolians got a little bit better because of their style of wrestling. Those guys are a little bit more accustomed to throwing and tossing. Right. Our guys were footballers, so they just came across, blah, just they were blasting everybody. Yeah. So that's how Jesse and Chad and Bia and all those, they, they're just, you know, so a lot of the Japanese said, oh, the, those guys don't really have the form. And they were right. We didn't have the form, but we beat them. You know, so right. that, the, that's what was happening. Well, I'm sure that there are still kids in Hawaii right now that are doing sumo that are studying under uh, Kenna, who learned from you, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah Ken, Ken has been doing a good job. Uh, sumo kind of died. You know, I, I had a really bad car accident in 2001, and I spent uh, months and months in the hospital and, and years uh, rehabbing, and I'm still rehabbing. So I, I walk with a bad limp, and my knee doesn't work anymore. My back's all screwed up. But, uh, but, it's, it's okay. Stuff happens. You just, you know, you just learn to deal with it. But, uh, but it, it changed my life a little bit. So I just stopped totally. And then Japan said, we're not taking foreigners. And I said, you know what? I just need to rehab myself, take care of my wife, get my kids off to college, just finish all that stuff. I'm, I'm done with sumo. Sumo was great and I'm kind of out. So nothing happened for a few years. And then Kenneth started doing this group. He worked with a, a Japanese language school uh, program and he was working with the kids, just teaching them English and writing and just being a good teacher. And he started doing like fun little sumo out in the grass with the kids. They everybody had to do five score and they had to do song Yako, Sudiyashi. And, and then Hakuho said, if anybody has young kids, we're going to have the Hakuho Cup and, you know, we'll pay your way to Japan. To Talk to the parents said, you want your kids to go to Japan and meet Hakuho? And like, wow. So awesome. Moms and dads were bringing musubi and stuff to, to help support Kenneth, you know, his group at the thing. They're practicing actually in one of those mixed martial arts gyms down in Honolulu. They just they go in the boxing ring. Sometimes they wouldn't even bother spreading the mat. You can just do, you don't have to have a circle to do it. I mean, that's what you need for a tournament. But if you're just tra training, you don't you don't need that. So he did really good and took the kids to Japan, I think, four or five or six times. There's some great pictures and video and stuff of that. I didn't even know that was really going on. He just, he told me he was doing some stuff. I said, Ken, if you need help, let me know. And I never really heard much from him. And then uh, I found out what he was, I said, oh, Ken, you know, good stuff, way to go. And now there's another group just down the road from where I live that uh, there's four or five guys that have been practicing sumo for a few months. But I think a, a bunch of those boys are going to go up to the North American tournament. Great. So my wife and I will be there. So I, I've been going over, I just either walk over or drive down. It's about 20 houses down the road. And I've been going down for the last couple of months and spending an hour or so with the guys, just watching what's going on and just giving button in when I think I can to have something to say. But but they're, they're tough kids. So, you know, I think they're between the ages of like oh, 22 and 30 or something. But, so I call them kids. But, you know, I mean, they're men. But right. but they're excited. I think there's three going to be in the heavyweight, open weight, and one is going to be like the middleweight, middleweight. They're all like, man, we've never been in a tournament. So they're really excited. And they've only competed against each other. So they, they have. Now, two of the boys actually did sumo way back in, in like in 1998, 2000, when it was still going on in my backyard. Okay. They actually were part of that program as like six-year-olds. They said, Coach, we remember you from back in the day. I said, well, I don't remember you, but okay, cool. But uh, so, yeah, Hawaii's got things starting to happen. If they do pretty good and they come back excited, they're probably pulling another eight or ten guys. And they're working under a guy named Wayne Vieira. I don't know if you've heard about Wayne yes. Vieira. Yes. He's a many-time Hawaii champion. Yeah. He joined Takasago Bay and made it yeah. up to Makusta. And they thought, Jesse really thought he was had a real bright future. Mm -hmm. And he had a, a, an internal thing, appendix or no, gallbladder or something that had to be cut out. So he got a big scar. Across. So he had to come home and, and have major surgery and be laid up for a couple of years. Okay. So, he never went back to Japan. After two years being out of Makusta, you can go back to amateur sumo. 
that that's a Japan rule, but you have to be out two years. You can't just like quit pro today and, and go win the amateur tournament tomorrow. That that's not fair. You uh, sit out for two years, then you okay. so you could train, but you can't compete. And then we saw him said, Wait, you want to come back to Zoom? He goes, Well, I'll come coach a little bit. And all of a sudden he's coaching. And then he said, Well, let me put the Washi on. He said, I, I can show I can coach better. Pretty soon I said, Wait, you know, you just beat the state champion from last year. He goes, Yeah, I said, Maybe I'll I'll go into the tournament this year. So he started training and then he got sick. So he won like five or six in a row state championships in Hawaii and got to compete in the mainland and compete in Japan a few times. So he he never really got back to as good as he was in Japan at that time because yeah. when you train once a week, it's not comparable to training six days a week days. and yeah. living in a stable. Just everything is sumo. When you hear it, like you have wife, kids, job, work, family, right. sumo is yeah. like another little another ornament, but it's a big tree. <laughs> so. So he's the one that's actually started that group over there. And he's the one that helped train a lot of our boys that went to Japan because he really knows the in and out. We had another young guy, Harry Wa'a, Harrington Wa'a, that won the uh, the junior world championship. They have this junior championship mm-hmm. for guys under the age of 21. He went over there as a 17-year-old high school kid and was world champion. Now, most people don't even talk about that, but type in no. Harrington Wa'a, W-A-A. Okay. Wow. Put that down and go look that go look him up. Yeah, Some interesting story about him in Japan. Because I mean, if you want to talk about like some of Hawaii's history or sumo history in America, Absolutely. he's a world champion. You know, a lot of people Amazing. talk about Manny and stuff, but nobody talks about Harrington. But he was a right. junior boys champion, you know, and Manny was the, the heavyweight champion. So right. Right. Well, going back to what you said before, you know, about the, the, the Hakaho cup and bringing over kids and, you know, in his retirement, he's been in, he's going to be in charge of obviously the Hakaho cup, but bringing in more people into the sport. That's the hope. We've all, we've all got our fingers crossed that, that he can really uh, ignite a, a global yeah. resurgence or not resurgence, but a global just uprising of sumo. That'd be cool. Yeah. Right. It would be cool. Yeah. If you get a few guys training here and a few guys training there, they can kind of that's how Hawaii sumo started. We talked about the Japanese, a few guys at this sugar camp, a few guys at that sugar camp. And they say, you know, we'll just get together for fun. 30 years later, there's 20,000 people coming to watch the championship. You know, this yeah. thing, guys are making $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 a year when that was the equivalent of a million dollars today. Just little guys and literally little guys. They weren't big guys. The guys who were winning the, the Hawaii championships in the old days. 145 pounds, 170, because they're almost all Japanese, you know, right. no really come, and they're just sugarcane workers, so that you don't get the biggest, strongest, greatest, you just get regular people. So, yeah, that's the whole, and that's what we, we hope we can get, I started trying to get clubs going in California, and uh, in Oregon, in uh, Boston, and New England, mm-hmm. uh, Hawaii, Long Island, and they all had little clubs, and uh, we got them to go to Japan a couple of times, but it just kind of, it just there wasn't enough people excited, just right. kind of out. But now there's enough people excited that I think this could really, really mushroom. And you guys are going to be like really important. And honestly, as you spread the word about sumo, things like what you're doing is going to be critical to the growth nationally of, of sumo. And hopefully Canadians will be listening and Mexicans will eventually be listening. So you guys could really be, and someday they'll be like interviewing you. Like, so tell us, how did you get involved with Sumo? You'll be telling your story. Really. <laughs> that would be I just, amazing. <laughs> no, no, but I see it happening. I really do. I, I don't see it going away. I and, think social uh, media is really helping. Yeah. Like the oh, yeah. availability, oh, sure. exposure yeah. through social media and, yeah, yeah. and the podcasting internet. in general. Yeah. It, it's growing. It's just yeah. growing like crazy, or it seems to us anyway. Yeah. 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 No, it, it really does. And I, I love, no matter Wisconsin, wherever they're at, 
these guys are putting up their club on social media and showing some of their practices and some of the yeah. guys winning and some are doing some cool editing like slow motion and thing. It's just like cool stuff and just yeah. and other people look at that and go, hey Freddie, you want to try that uh, when we go to the gym on front? So I I think you know there's a chance for it to spread because people are seeing that it's fun, it's interesting. Jake Book, the the guy out of uh, Kentucky, Ohio? something, yeah. yeah, Ohio. He did a great thing. Yeah. He and I have talked quite a few times uh, on the phone, and he got all those little guys going. He had like three or four practices with like twenty kids, all excited, yeah. and then he just kind of ran out of the wherewithal to just kind of keep going for the time being. Mm-hmm. And kids get it like that was in between baseball season and football right. season, or soccer season, or whatever. Right. Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, and moms and dads when there's nothing to go. Okay, we'll take Billy to go do the sumo thing, but. Oh, now he's got a soccer game. We can't go there. So maybe someday sumo will be that important that they'll do that. And I think what I'm realizing is for a lot of people in California and Hawaii and in other places in the U.S., you have been that person that they've continuously Uh, gone back to mm -hmm. and said, how do we improve on this? How do we keep it going? And you've consistently been there for them as they've been growing their own groups. Uh, So I think that's that's the honor that people are trying to give to you and to say thank you for helping us keep all this alive. Well, people help me, you know, just, you know, who helped you get here, but you're helping a whole lot of people learn about sumo. So the the kudos honestly like belong to you also. I mean, it's just, it's just this ongoing, it's this long, long, long line of people involved with sumo. And, and I happen to be in this corner of the line and, and whoop, now you guys have popped over that, but we're all <laughs> doing the same. People are so grateful to you because they get to hear these really interesting stories, talk see what's going on in the world and you, you do your coverage of the tournaments live. It's just, it's just good stuff. So I, yeah, we're all working hard to try and make something happen. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Well, tell us about your involvement, not only with the U S sumo organization, but also with the international sumo federation. Cause I know you've been involved with all yeah, of that way, way back in the day. And then uh, no, okay. not so, so much anymore. Uh, not 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 much no i i'm i'm just stepping back in in the past six months or so just as i see this kind of i say well maybe there's hope so let me let me see what i can help out a little bit here or there but uh, i know i'm just i'm just dropping a little bit of salt on trying to season a a growing (laughs) pot of of stew i'll just a couple of grains of salt on top (laughs) to make it a little bit tastier um i got real involved with competing as a sumo wrestler and just really got excited about so i trained really hard and and had Pretty good success. Got to do a couple of trips in Japan and had success over there and just came back and had some championships in Hawaii and I was doing good. And I was, because I was a high school teacher and a coach, the reason Japan even brought me over, it wasn't because I was a sumo wrestler because I, I was like not a sumo wrestler by their standard at all. I mean, I just wasn't. But they just said, here's a teacher, a coach, a guy that's excited about sumo. He's kind of past the age of really like just only focusing on his own sumo. He's got access to a whole bunch of boys at his school. He's got access to boys all around the state because of wrestling, because of my involvement with football. He said, you know, we're going to spend a few pennies. Let, let's see what this guy can do for us. So I think some people are not really in Japan, not that pleased with what I did with it. But I, I think others are, are just, you know, just you can't please everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I, I I got to go to Japan and learn, came back. My sumo got better. And I just started pulling more. Eventually, I formed a high school sumo team and our sumo ring in town got moved and it got closed down and we were bringing 20 kids and men from way up here on the North shore. While we were all driving all the way down to Honolulu to the doyo 
So we built a doyo in the backyard and just all we did was weed whack out and just pound it a lot and bring some beach sand up and kind of spread it out. And then eventually we dug a rope in like a Tawada. Mm-hmm. But that that was just just a backyard doyo like like a lot of guys are doing around America now. Kids like get off in school at three o'clock and they like from four to five, mom and dad said, you can have some, you came home, did your homework. You got some time off. You can go do what you want. Well, we're going to go down to coach's house and do sumo for us. And mom and dad said, yeah, great. Gonna make you a better footballer. They didn't care about it. So it was going to make you a better footballer. Well. Like Jesse, that's all they cared about. It wasn't about sumo. And they knew the kids were not in a gang or not getting in trouble. Right. And I tried to pull in a lot of boys that didn't even qualify for sports because of behavior or academics or just. So their choice was like do nothing or just work at home or go join the bad boys and smoke and drink and do some drugs and hang out at the beach park and cause trouble. Or go over to Jack's house and you get a sumo t-shirt and you get a baseball cap and you hang out with 20 guys. We all get a hot dog at the end of practice and we get to go to tournaments and we get to meet Takamiyama and Akibono. Like, um, this could be pretty easy decision. Yeah, we'll come play with you a bit. Yeah. And then I said, oh, we're going to get a trip to Japan with you. Wow. And all of a sudden a lot more boys showed up. We had like 40 boys training for a couple of years hard. I mean, we were badass bears. Some of the Japan high school teams came over and we beat them. You know, just nice. the, the boys got tough. I mean, we had top athletes, uh, even if they weren't like like able to make on the football team, they still were a, a gorilla of an athlete. They're just a different kind of kid. And so I just thought, not only am I having fun with sumo, I'm also helping the community a little bit, but I'm also helping these kids kind of say, Hey, there's a there's something better for me than just being a punk or just being a dropout. You know, mm-hmm. I was talking school. I was really an excited educator. It's like life is this 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 long thin curtain, and a lot of kids just slide down the curtain and they never can get their hooks in. And mm-hmm. Some kids are born with Velcro hands. They're academic. They're scholastic. They're great sports people. Whatever they they have these skills and gifts, or their parents were college graduates, so they 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 just stick. But there's other kids that go, shoo, and they slide down this long curtain of life, and they fall off the bottom. They drop out of school in ninth, tenth grade. The girls all get pregnant, have babies. The kids get into drugs. And I said, so I always told our teacher, we got to do more stuff to get more Velcro on these kids' hands. So what'll work, whatever. So we were giving away free ice creams after school. Every time a kid had a, a, an A on anything, you could bring it after school and get a free ice cream with anything that had an A from the teacher. And we found a few kids were cheating and making their own. No, no, no. So, <laughs> but I just... So the same thing was true with sumo. We just said, let this be kind of a motivation. You come out here, you show up, you work hard, you help clean the ring, you hose it down, you you rake it at the end, you, you fold them and wash these up, you help coach trim the yard a little bit. You're going to get hot dogs. You're going to get a T-shirt. You're gonna, and they didn't have to pay them. You're just going to get them. Yeah, yeah. And we did fundraisers to get the money to do it. And pretty soon people said, oh, that's just, yeah, we'll give you a hundred bucks, coach. Oh, and he said, I got 20 pound bags of rice. You can have two bags of shoes. So, so we would just be feeding the kids and just, I mean, not that they were starving to them, but just they'd look forward to coming over here, working hard and sitting down with 20 of their buddies at the beach, eating a bowl of curry and rice and a hot dog going, this is pretty freaking good. You know, yeah. football doesn't give me this for an hour's work. Yeah. I had all these little dangles waiting for them, you know, to, to entice them to come in. And once a kid showed that he was really tough and really serious, uh, then we could kind of really start to crack the whip. Literally. I mean, we, we got pretty rough with our boys over here. And nowadays I probably couldn't get away with some of that, but we started to get closer to what Japan was because some of these guys are going to college. They're going to the pros. They're, they're going off to Japan. They're going to national, international tournaments. So we just said, dude, you know, we're not sending you over there unless you can cut the mustard. So we just intensified what we we're doing. I mean, I watch these nice practices around America now and cool, but I mean, our kids were like laying down, crying, bleeding, literally just <laughs> suffering. To get the chance to go in that tournament and then right. when they got to go like they went over they, they just fought like their hearts out because they they would die 
rather than lose. Literally, they would rather die than lose. You know, I told them, you guys. And the other thing that I loved about sumo was at the end of a match, no matter how good or bad you fight, no matter how tough you are, both guys need to bow, show respect, hush up, squat down, do your thing, step out, shut up, suck it up. Yeah. Are you a man? Then show me you can be a man. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got a hat. You just want a hat. Every every practice, every no, but honestly, every practice we kind of gave the 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 athlete or the sumatori of, of the day, and he got some kind of little prize. Could be a hot dog. Nice. Could have been a hat. Could have been if I got a bonzuke. You got a bonzuke. Whatever. Somebody yeah. sent me some poster into it. You get a poster. Whoa, cool. Talk to me. I'm a poster. So they got a little something. It just we all work for stuff, you know, and right. not just stuff, but we all work to feel good, you know. Right. If, if you're not motivated to do something, you know, people can tell you how many times you hear my, you better study better. And the kids say, I don't give a shit what I get in chemistry. I don't, I'm not right. studying. Yeah. But if your mom and dad said, okay, you get in the chemistry test, you can take the car Saturday night, take your data. Dude, I'm getting an A. <laughs> I'm going to die trying yeah. to get. So just, you know. rewards rewards yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds and like you're using whatever tools you had to teach life skills and respect yeah. And- yeah no and it just that's why i got so excited about it just because it really fit our kids and our kids are good kids from good families but no velcro and they're just hanging out at the bottom of the, the back the back of campus up by the smokers tree there's no kid that does not want to be the star quarterback there is no boy or girl that doesn't want to be the captain of the cheerleaders that doesn't want to be the speech debate champion, that doesn't want to win the basketball championship and be the MVP. They all want that, but they just have no freaking clue how to get there. So we got to show them, hey, you can, you know, so just open the doors. And that's what Sumo does. So that's why I, I talked with Jake a lot about this. You know, when he's getting young, I said, man, that's just awesome. I said, can make the kids just better kids even, you know I think all sports programs do that. You watch Little League or Pop Warner, you get a couple of crazy coaches that lose sight of what their goal is. But mm-hmm. the goal really for athletes is just to be physically fit and to enjoy life and be a good person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, are you a good teammate? That's why you're talking about teamwork. Right, teamwork. More people get fired in America, not because they can't type fast enough or, or compute or calculate or dig the ditch fast because they can't get along with the people behind them. We got to just make people get along more. And that's, that's what sports does. It's, that's what debate does. That's what theater does. That That's what doing podcasts does. You know, just, yeah. it's, honestly, it's just, it's cool. I don't want to take up your entire day, but I do want to know what you are hoping to see at the North American Sumo Championship in Vegas next week. Besides us, because we'll be there. Yeah, well. I just, the first thing I really want to see is kind of shake hands and put a hug or whatever to a lot of these faces that I've seen on Zoom, I've seen on my iPhone, I've, I've talked to, I've texted, I've emailed, I've, I've seen on Facebook. I've, everybody was just virtual. We've been trapped here in Hawaii for two years. So I can't wait to get the hell out of here. We're, we're so over being trapped here. First of all, I just want to go meet everybody because there's so many cool people involved with Sumo. I'm like, wow. And we all have this common love. So I'm like, yeah, I can I get to hang out with my groupies, my, my crew, my posse, my gang, you know, not my gang, but I, I get to be part of that posse and gang that yeah. is an exciting new thing that's happening. Two, I just want to just help out. I, I I told them that we'll collect tickets at the door. We'll sweep. I don't care what we do. So I, I don't even know what I'm going to do when I get up there. I just I just want to go up there and just be in the the atmosphere, the aura again. I, I've been away for, for, for about oh, almost 20 years, not quite 20 years. I have really had almost nothing to do with it. So I watch it, I follow it, I like it a little bit, but I wasn't involved. And just about a year ago, I said, 
no, Sumo's getting pretty excited. All these things popping up and whatever around the country. And I wasn't go. I wasn't doing much because we're kind of COVID trapped here. So I just want to kind of help in any way that I can help out. I'm really yeah. excited to meet you. I'm really excited yeah. to see those Hawaiian sumo yeah. wrestlers that will be yeah, there yeah. and to learn more about them. I think they're going to be uh, fun. I think you're going to have some fun watching them. Yeah, they're, they're fun guys. They're cool. <laughs> thank you so much for today. Oh, you're this welcome. Has been you're welcome. Such a, we, ha- we have been wanting to talk to you for a really long time. So this has been wonderful for us. Thank you so much for giving us I'm your I'm sorry. Time. I sometimes get excited and get off on a tangent and I just get, get all wound right, up. And go, right. oh, wait, You're yeah, talking wait, wait. to the <laughs> one tangent, tangent people. people. That's the way our brains work. Yeah. Uh, speaking of tangent, thank you on your Facebook page for the way that you describe taking kilograms to pounds. It's the first oh. way that's ever made sense to me. Oh, cool. Read that okay. on his Facebook page. Yeah. Basically, you double the kilogram and then... Like say it's 160. I think that was the yeah. example you yeah, used, yeah. right? You double it to 320. 320. And then you take that number, you lose the last digit, you take the first two. Okay, so 36. 32. Oh, 30, 32. 32. Add it to the 320. Add it to the 320. Okay. And that's because the approximate see, poundage. Oh wow. Pounds are 2.2, 2.2 right. times kilogram. So quickly, if you double it, that's two. And, and then if you sounds- just take that one. T- you just cut that one decimal off. That's the point two, and just add them together. So, eight, here, let's test it. Eighty pounds. How how much is it? Eighty kilograms. 80 how many kilograms. pounds? Eighty kilograms. Eighty kilograms. One sixty, and then right. I add eight and one, and that would be no, nine. no, 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 no. Take the first two from one sixty. One sixty. Oh, drop six, the zero. So seven, seven. No, no. Just take the one six. Sixteen. Sixteen. Add the add sixteen to one sixty. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah, 176. 176. Yeah, so that fast, you could tell did how many. I, did I do it yeah. wrong? Yeah. Well, I was no. really good at math okay. so, once, so, once upon a time. It was my streak. So one, one more time. 90. 90 okay. kilograms. I double it, 180. And then I take off the zero. And then I add 18 to 180. So 198. Perfect. That's it. 198 pounds. Yeah, it's so it easy. Is it? It is. <laughs> yeah, but I can't tell yeah. you. We've spent two years in the podcast booth, both of us going. We have no idea how much he weighs. We have no idea. <laughs> we just knew he's a big boy. <laughs> uh, I love you, ladies. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, I'm an old fat sitting here in Hawaii, and it's really nice to talk sumo for a couple of cute ladies for for an hour. So oh, this was no pain on my heart at all. It was oh, just all good. fun. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Yeah. you have a great yeah. afternoon. Oh, uh, will now. Thank you. Yeah, aloha. <laughs> Aloha. So that's really it this week. That's it. Yeah. Uh, We'll talk at you next week. We'll have lots to say about the North American Sumo Championship, which is uh, where we're headed in just a few days. That's right. We're going to see all of the sumo wrestlers in Hawaii and North America competing for their spot on the national sumo team. And nationals will take place in 2022. So it's big time competition that we're headed out to. We're super excited. Right. And if people want to tune in, we will be there. We'll be doing the commentating on the live uh, stream. So And probably spitballing the Grand Sumo Breakdown guys who will yeah. be next to us announcing at the tournament. That's so. right. So <laughs> tune in. Check it out. We'll leave links on our social media. So yep. if you all would like to tune in and watch and support, then go for it. We would love to have you. So that is Saturday. I'm Leslie. I'm Lori. Sayonara. Bye. Bye.